The Athletic. Totally Football League show. On the weekend, a Luxembourger scored in the championship for the first time. Neil Warnock's had his chips, maybe for the last, as Borough go wilder. Meanwhile, Bournemouth are foursome and 20s not plenty for Mitro. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. It's Monday, you know what that means. Time for us to talk through all that championship action from the weekend. Sacking, smackings and crackings. What? Joining me today are Stats Boy, Adrian Clark. <laughs> yeah, good, good afternoon. Yeah, I was thinking exactly the same uh, with that, that little little rhyming uh, sequence. Yeah. What? <laughs> Definitely getting worse, about? these intros. Uh, also with us, grizzled frontman Sam Parkin. Uh, good afternoon, Matthew. Any excuse to use the word grizzled. And the ubiquitous, illustrious Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Hi, Flo. Hello. Yeah, I thought I'd come on the wrong pod for a second. I nearly needed to close the, <laughs> the link because I thought, oh, this isn't this isn't the football pod I thought I was coming on. This is actually something a little, a little bit different. Um, but, you know, I'm here for it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's lunchtime. I can, I can do it. Yeah. Uh, right, we'll touch on some FA Cup stuff later, but really it's all about the championship on today's pod. See you there presently. Ah, the summer was fun, wasn't it? No allegiances, everyone getting behind England, three lions being sung everywhere. But now the Premier League is back, get Grealish off the bench, ah, he can stay on it at City. Pickford might have been a safe pair of hands, now he's just a pair. And enough of Jules Rimet dreaming, now it's our turn to dream. So kiss goodbye to that vomit-inducing unity and welcome back proper football. Let's celebrate flair on the grass, not a flare up the... <coughs> Paddy Power! 18plusbegumbleaware.org You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines, Neil Warnock biffed by Borough. His replacement is a wilder one. Oh yeah, he's a wilder one. More on that soon. Millwall and the police are investigating after a Derby player was allegedly subjected to racist abuse at the Den on Saturday. Deary me. Bournemouth back to winning ways. The gap between the top two and the rest yawns ever wider as Mitro makes it 20 for the season in Fulham's win at Posh. Derby are nine points from safety with Hull and Cardiff, the big winners at the bottom. A power outage at St Andrews delayed the start of Birmingham versus Reading. No shocks there, but a big one at the city ground where Brennan Johnson was finally awarded a penalty. All right, here's a couple of contrasting quotes. First one, Middlesbrough FC have parted company with manager Neil Warnock by mutual consent. The decision was reached after talks between the two parties and Neil leaves the club with the best wishes of all. Quote number two, I'm disappointed with how it's ended up, but nothing surprises me really. I found out this morning with a call to say they were going in a different direction. I felt I deserved a bit more than that, but it's not to be. That doesn't sound that mutual really does it whatever way you spin it Neil Warnock is no longer Middlesbrough manager his final game was a one-all draw at West Bromwich Albion on Saturday joining us now is Five Live Sport presenter and Borough superfan Steve Crossman Steve is this harsh or is it fair enough on, on the one hand you're not long off a three-match winning run on the other now three without a win and only six of them all season. Mm, yeah, I mean, like, it, if you're a serious football club, and, and I'm not trying to say that Middlesbrough have been a serious football club for some time, you've got to look beyond what you've done in three games or five games or, or 20 games, really, or at least you should do. Um, it's definitely fair. I mean, it, it, it feels kind of bad because ultimately... Neil Warnock did save Middlesbrough from relegation in the the midst of that calamitous Jonathan Woodgate season, um, and and that made a massive difference. You know, if you if you get relegated just after you lose parachute payments, you've still got some players on mega wages. Things would have been really really dark if that had happened. So he, he deserves so much credit and so much thanks. But ultimately, choice between Neil Warnock and Chris Wilder is not really a choice, is it? <laughs> Um, no, I was interested in, in his, his post-match comments, Warnock, on Saturday, because before he took the job, he'd, he'd tell anyone who'd listen how much he wanted to work with Steve Gibson, yet on Saturday he was whinging, I've had no help from behind the scenes since I've been at the club. Is, is that fair from him or, or just the bitter ramblings of a cranky malcontent? <laughs> I don't know about no help. I mean, look, Middlesbrough's recruitment is notoriously bad. And that's why Borough have brought in a, a head of football, in inverted commas, a.k.a. sporting director, um, Kieran Scott, who, who worked under Stuart Webber at Norwich City. Um, 
I think the problem, well, the problem is twofold. One, bringing in someone like Kieran Scott means your analysing of targets and how you find players is going to go through the roof. It's going to be loads better. But ultimately, you've still got the same guy, which for Middlesbrough, the, the chief executive guy called Neil Bowser, who has to either get the deals over the line or won't get the deals over the line. And I think Warnock's frustration is primarily with him and the fact that he's had a load of targets that he thought he was going to get and the process has been really slow and they've ended up going to other clubs. Although, you know, having been told on the morning of that game he was getting the boot, I think he's basically just taken the opportunity to bury as many people as possible. And you could understand that, can't you? You're about to get sacked, it's your last chance. Steve, I just wanted to ask on on that as well. It does seem like perhaps they were sort of being a bit generous and saying, well, you can have the record game on Tuesday. And in his Quest post-match interview, Warnock implied that there was sort of two, three weeks ago, it was pretty clear that Wilder was going to be getting the job. Um, But on on the signings front, surely as well, it's smarter from the club to sort of bide their time because a manager like Warnock is going to probably want to bring in players he's always worked with before and we know the danger with that when you're spending money on perhaps talent that's not the most kind of forward thinking young um, you know players that you can also make an, uh, make back some money from an investment wise so actually it's probably smart on the club as well to think well we've got the background staff in now we're just not going to let Neil Warnock get his hands on any of the budget that we might be willing to spend well, definitely. I mean, look, he, it was pretty clear he was going at the end of the season. So you bring in a head of football to really look at the long-term future of recruitment. So what is the point if you know the manager is going at the end of the season to spend your time talking to him about the targets he wants? I, th- I think this is a massive you know, misunderstanding when it comes to like a head of football. Is this idea that suddenly the manager has no involvement at all in signing players? But, but you could just see the fault lines developing between Warnock and, and the new head of football, Kieran Scott, you know, some of the stuff he was saying, even, even earlier in the summer, you know, Middlesbrough on the verge of signing this, this Dutch winger from Heronveen called Mitchell van Bergen, who ended up going to a club in League One, in League One, sorry. He was about to sign, and one was asked about him, and he said, well, if we're signing him, it's now to do with me. So but it's not a great message to send to a, to a player and his agent who's about to, to sign for your club, and he ended up... He ended up going somewhere else. So, look, he, he signed some of, inverted commas, his players like, uh, like Peltier, Lee Peltier, like Sol Bamba as well. But ultimately, you know, we, we signed a winger from non-league and Neil Warnock said, you know, I'm, I'm just going to give him a go. It's a no-risk situation. He would rather sign a player from non-league because it was his idea than bring in, you know, a talented midfielder from France like we've done with this, this lad, uh, James Lissaliki who can't get in the team. So I just, I don't think those two things were ever going to marry up were they Neil Warnock and, you know, sort of progressive sporting director type role. No, it was always going to end in tears, wasn't it? Uh, Colin was at pains, wasn't he, to, to point out that he leaves the club with a lot of talented young players. Which of the, the current crop do you think that Chris Wilder will, will build the team around? Um, I think Isaiah Jones is a is a really good young player. He's a winger, but kind of Warnock's managed to turn him into a bit of a wing back. And and that is something I should say. You know, there's a few players: uh, Mark Bowler, who's a left wing back who's injured at the minute; Anthony Dykesdale, who who's a right wing back slash right back. Those are players that came in under Jonathan Woodgate uh, and and looked absolutely hopeless. And under Neil Warnock, they've been ten times better. So he has improved some of the players. I would say that. There's a couple of the young players. The other one's Josh Coburn, a young striker who scored two in two. Or Josh Goldburn, as the fans have started calling him. It's, it's very, see what they've done there? Um, yeah. Uh, but to be honest, I actually think the players that will thrive most might not be the younger players. Like, obviously, we think of um, Chris Wilder and you think about what he does with centre-backs and getting at least one of them high up the park. I- I'm such a big Paddy McNair fan. I think he's Middlesbrough's best player he has played centre mid and centre back, and I could just see him absolutely thriving uh, in that centre back role. Um, the other one, in terms of the players that have come through the academy, albeit he's not that young anymore, is, is Marcus Tavernier, um, whose brother, of course, plays for plays for Rangers. He's so good, and there are so many much bigger clubs that are interested in him. I just feel like in the centre of that midfield, which is where he wants to play, which is where I think Wilder would play him, we would see a much better version of him than a. Uh, you know, in a 4-3-3 where quite often he looks a bit lost, I think. 
Steve, you're, you're pretty well placed in the in the table, considering everything that's gone on. Plenty of points to play for. What do you think privately has been said to Chris Wilder about the remainder of this season? And I suppose does it does it all hinge on what happens in January if you can get the right players? You know, it could still be a playoff season. Yeah, well, I think that is one of the things that's probably... Well, there'll be two things that's prompted Gibson to make the decision. The first is that he could get Chris Wilder. And if you can get Chris Wilder and your Middlesbrough Football Club, you get Chris Wilder. It's an absolute no-brainer. But it's also the fact that, you know, in previous seasons when Middlesbrough have struggled, Steve Gibson... And I'm going to say something negative about Steve Gibson, so everyone just needs to kind of be careful here. Um, he's acted too late. You know, he acted too late when um, when we looked like we were going down under under Ito Karanka. He probably acted too late on Jonathan Woodgate, even though we stayed up. It was only by the skin of our teeth. You know, it was confirmed on the final day of the season. So he's made a decision this time early enough that this season can still be a priority. And I think, to be honest, you know, there are a lot of players in this Middlesbrough team that fit what Chris Wilder will want to do. That's been a massive problem at Borough over the years. We gave Gary Monk £55 million to spend and then it didn't go well at all. He brought, he brought Martin Braithwaite, who's now at Barcelona. He brought attacking fullbacks like uh, Cyrus Christie. We had Fabio at that time playing left wing back from, you know, formerly, of course, at Manchester United. We had so much attacking talent and then we got rid of him and replaced him with Tony Pulis. And it's nothing against Tony Pulis, but you couldn't find two more different managers. You, it would be physically impossible to do that. So the, the idea that you give a bloke 55 million and a few months later, you replace him with somebody who's got no interest in those players just shows the problems we've had. The difference now is, I think we've got quite a lot of Chris Wilder players. So yes, I think there will be an expectancy that, that Middlesbrough do push back up towards those playoff places. You know, now we've got the head of football, there'll probably be players being scouted from all over the world. But do I expect us to sign Chris Basham in January? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> um, Steve, before we let you go, the head of football is obviously a big thing. I wonder how much Chris Wilder knew about him and vice versa before he came in. Because, of course, one of the reasons that Wilder left Sheffield United was because he couldn't get on with those above him. So is that not a slight concern? Um, it was a concern for me sort of 24 hours ago when I heard about the appointment for the exact reason that you've said there. I think there is a difference, or, or at least I hope there is a difference. The first thing is there wasn't a director of football when Chris Wilder arrived at Sheffield United. Um, it was something that was kind of forced upon him from a recruitment perspective. I also think his frustrations were more with the owners, weren't they, than necessarily underneath them. He's not going to have a problem in that sense with Steve Gibson. Um, I think what's really interesting is the first thing that Middlesbrough did when Chris Wilder was appointed, they released on their own website an interview with Wilder in which he was asked in this obviously, you know, understandably stage managed way about the impact of Kieran Scott and him coming to the club. And then there was an interview with Kieran Scott about his own impact on Chris Wilder coming to the club. And then literally the first photograph they put up was of the two of them watching the under 23s game. So I think, you know, everyone's obsessed with optics Middlesbrough know the optics. Uh, the difference here is that Wilder could have gone elsewhere. I think he's been struggling to get back into the game, which is a bit of a surprise. But ultimately, he didn't have to take this job. And I just can't see him taking it unless he was completely at peace with, with the way it's going to operate. Sounds like there's plenty of reasons to be positive. Um, I'm sure you'll get to speak to Chris Wilder pretty soon, being the big shot that you are, Steve. If you could do me a, a favour and um, ask him not to recall Jed Spence in January, that would be tremendously helpful. <laughs> you mean he'll get the chance to speak to me, Matt? <laughs> Quite right. Uh, thanks for your time. We'll speak to you again soon. Cheers, guys. Take care. Steve Crossman there, you can hear him on a little-known station called BBC Radio 5 Live. To think I used to be his producer about 10 years ago, eh? Uh, I'll just point this out to the guys on the Zoom. Our, our careers have gone in slightly different directions since then. But he doesn't get to work with Adrian Clark at least once a week, so who's the real winner? Uh, what do you think, Clarkie? Uh, off the back of that, it, it, looks like, it looks like a good appointment on paper, but Chris Wilder, can he be tamed? Will Steve Gibson need to do that? Or is Steve Gibson not even going to be involved if we go on what Neil Warnock's been saying? Yeah, it feels like Steve Gibson's a bit more hands-off these days, doesn't it? And that he's sort of handed it over to the new guard, of which Kieran Scott is clearly the, mo the, the one you need to get on with if you're to thrive in the managerial hot seat. So look, the relationship between Wilder and, and Scott will 
determine, I think, how well how well they do. Are, are their visions aligned or not? Well, we'll have to wait and see, won't we, on that? I, I do think that even though Middlesbrough weren't really doing that badly, I do agree with, with, with Steve on if Wilder's available and you know that Warnock's probably going to leave at the end of the season, then make the change now. I, I, I absolutely get it. And I get the fact that Kieran Scott wants to work with a manager that likes him as well uh, and that wants to be sort of a partnership. And, it, and I, I, reading between the lines, it doesn't take much, does it, to, to feel that Warnock and, and him were, were not the best of mates. A couple of home games for Chris Wilder to kick off with Millwall and then Preston. Uh, right, we are going to get on to the weekend's action next. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. Uh, to the top of the table, where Bournemouth put their midweek defeat to Preston behind them in a fashion that can only be described as emphatic. Dom Solanke and Jaden Anthony did the damage in a game filled with rancour. Uh, which I quite enjoyed. Sam, you can have first go on this one. Swansea had a penalty shout turned down. They had a couple of chances at 0-0, but, but that said, Bournemouth thoroughly worthy of the points. Yeah, yeah, they were. Um, Swansea were very good for 20 minutes. It didn't amount to, to shots on the on the goal, um, but played some some nice stuff and and essentially that was their, their downfall, wasn't it? Giving it away in, in dangerous areas. I think Bournemouth are at their best when Anthony's in the team. He's had a bit of a lull uh, compared to his standards that he set early part of the season, but a couple of goals, nicking the ball high up. Grimes was um, the guilty party for a couple of the goals, which um, surprised me. Great player. But yeah, I think this is probably a probably a, a Swansea side that Russell Martin's going to have to do a bit of wheeling and dealing with. I think you look at the back three, I'd be very surprised if Norton and, and Manning are still two of his back three in the in the months ahead and certainly into next season. So um, convincing victory for Bournemouth. Um, still not uh, been behind at half-time, I believe. So yeah, lo- loads of encouraging signs for them after what was, um, you know, a, a pretty tough week for them given that they um, they lost their unbeaten record losing at home to Preston. Great way to respond. Flo, we've got some great strikers in the Championship this season, it occurs to me. Where do you put Dom Solanke in, in that list? 
I think he's definitely up there. I think he's definitely up there. I think it's the consistency which makes you stand out in the championship and across the EFL. If you can if you can bring that, then you take yourself a level above because there's lots of decent forwards in this division who maybe might just break double figures, but if you can push and be getting at least, you know, a, a goal or two every week then you're you're definitely going to stand out as one of the best and I think he's not found his level because I think he's shown that he can play at a very high level but it's, he's finally feels confident he's finally got what he's needed to excel at Bournemouth because I think he did he sort of struggle when he first came in but I think it's great to see him kind of excelling. Clarkie I really enjoyed all the scrapping in this game particularly the the melee that Scott Parker got himself involved in are you appreciating that from your gaffer if he wades in? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I like it. He's, he's still young, isn't he? He can still look after himself, Scott Parker. <laughs> I mean, he said afterwards that he, he loved to see that, you know, that kind of aggression. I think that one of the key aspects of this victory was Bournemouth's aggression. What happened early on, they were getting trounced by Swansea. His movement was so good. I think Parker made a tactical tweak. He sort of dropped Jefferson Lerma a bit back and it was almost like a back three and... And they, they almost matched Swansea up. So they, they fixed something tactically. But the key word he used afterwards over and over again was aggression. And that is going to be Swansea's problem, I think, if t- teams will want to beat them up, get in their face and, and steal the ball inside the opposition half through physical strength. I think the foul count was 16 to 6 in, in Bournemouth's favour. favour. So um, it goes to show that, that that was very much part of their makeup. So, yeah, good day, I think, for Scott Parker and a good day for, for fans of on-pitch brawls because there were, there were several, weren't there? And I enjoyed billing against Flynn Downs was, was interesting. I mean, it was a mismatch in height. Good on Flynn for sort of at least pretending to... To, to put up a five, um, yeah, there's only going to be one winner there. And I, I think the frustration came from Swansea and people like Flynn Downs because Billing was just on him all of the time, in his face, couldn't do what he wanted to do, Flynn Downs. And, and if he's tamed and grimes, then then that's you know, half the battle, really. Yeah, big for Scott Parker not to get a hair out of place or lose his type in either in, uh, in that. Uh, right, Coventry, one of the playoff pack, desperately trying to keep pace with the top two. Flo was on hand to witness live their thrilling win against beleaguered Bristol City. Good thing about writing for it for the Athletic, Flo, is that you can do so for 15,000 words and no one will question you. But we do have a time limit on the podcast. There's a lot to get to from this game. Can you try and sum it up? Yeah, I think similarly to, to Bournemouth, Coventry were coming off losing their unbeaten home record on Tuesday night. Um, frustrating as well, because they can see two early, early goals in that game against Swansea. And I think the pressure was on and... Like they have done in so many games this season, they were really good on the ball, dominated, didn't find that goal and then conceded what I thought was a bit of a harsh penalty. And then it was kind of, you know, backs against the wall to to climb into the game. And when they conceded that penalty, they also lost a man. Matson got sent off. So I think to to turn around the game, come from behind twice given you're off the back of a, of a home defeat with 10 men, that kind of character, you know, all the cliches, adversity, blah, 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 I think is brilliant for them. And I think that's what's going to help them push for a playoff spot this season because they're a very good team. They're a very good team, but it's just taking those chances. Bristol City are bad, very bad. I've just been, every single time I watch them, um, I see that they seem to get worse. Um, But they're sort of doing enough, like they did on Saturday, to kind of like scrape through and, and find some goals, whether it's, you know, through a penalty decision or just pouncing on mistakes. So it's almost like they're clinical when other teams make mistakes, but they create absolutely nothing for themselves, really. Um, and I, I really don't see them uh, staying up unless unless they can find something. So I think it was good that Coventry kind of made the most of that and actually were cutthroat in their approach because otherwise, you know, there's no chance if you get, you're going to make it into the playoffs if you don't beat the crap teams essentially and Bristol City are not a good side um but yeah brilliant character brilliant um home support as well I think it was just over 19,000 in the end um and I think about 15,000 or so of those were home fans so yeah I think it's gonna be a great season for them and they're loving life back at 
what is now called the CBS Arena. But yeah, I think it's just good vibes. And it was funny as well because Mark Rummins was saying afterwards that they celebrated that third goal, Matty Godden's goal, so hard. His assistant smashed him in the neck. He got like a dead arm. He had pins and needles down his entire arm because I think he trapped a nerve or something. But So he had to have some physio treatment after the final whistle, but he, he said he was fine. But obviously it meant a lot. Uh, Samuel had been on the end of one of those 80 Vivash forearm smashes in the past, uh, I'm sure. What they do have at Coventry is, is lots of goals, isn't it? Uh, Matty Godden here with a couple, but Jokeresh as well. And, and that might be the thing, I guess, that, that keeps them keeping pace with the promotion chases. Yeah, I think at times in the last couple of seasons, there's been an, an over-reliance on one player. I think Matty Godden was that guy in certainly the promotion season from League One. We, we always wax lyrical about their midfield, the rotation, the options there, but no one who's going to get you a great return of goals. So to have a few players to compliment him now, the top end of the pitch, vitally important. And, and that's the headline um, really from this game for me. You know, Mark Robbins keeping true to his principles, keeping the two strikers on the pitch, keeping O'Hare on the pitch. Normally, one of the flair players your number goes up at half-time, unfortunately, and you've got to, uh, you've got to stomach it. But this was um, Clark Salter off for Todd Kane, went to a back four, which is not something we see from commentary. They're very set in their, their style. Obviously, they had a player down, but to be versatile, go to the 4-3-2, keep the two strikers on the pitch, and not only outscore Bristol City, but have more of the ball, have more shots, off the top of my head, I can't remember that happening too often. So it was pretty pitiful from a Bristol City perspective. I agree with Flo. I don't think they'll go down because they've got enough good players to get results. But I don't really know what they are. There's no real shape. There's no real philosophy there. So it'll be a season that they survive. But I think there needs to be big changes to that club. Like there does have to be at a few championship clubs. Mark Robbins was interesting afterwards. He said, look, if we were down to 10 men against Swansea... Yeah. I, I would have I would have gone different. I would have gone a bit more negative. So basically, he was saying Bristol City are crap. So I felt that we were still we were still could go at them, and and they did. And look, they got their fourth injury time winner of the season as well, Coventry City. So so they've got that that willingness to keep going, haven't they? Um, yeah, it's, it's turning into a bit of a dream campaign for them. Yeah, I mean, Bristol City are just hoping that they can ride out the whole season just being a counter-attacking side that Nick wins like they did at QPR and and it, other places those those few that they've had this season but I just think in reality it's it's not logical it's not it's not a good way to approach the season to hope that you can let the other team just have plus 60% possession in every game on what they lost on on Tuesday. And, and that was because they actually had quite a lot of possession. So they didn't know what to do with it. But you can't just spend the whole season giving the ball away, letting teams have the ball and then hope that you're going to pounce on something. I just don't think it works in the championship. Yeah, Nigel Pearson, the ostrich hater, can't bury his head in the sand for much longer. Six defeats in eight games for his team. Elsewhere, all square in the tea time game at Bloomfield Road where Blackpool and Queen's Park Rangers drew one all. We've got the QPR fan club with us. So, Clarky, you get to talk us through how Blackpool did in this game first and, and maybe how the uh, the officials did because they had a goal confusingly and wrongly ruled out at 0-0 and then they had a decent penalty shout waved away before the one that was given. Look, on this game, the referee cost Blackpool two points didn't he it, it, or the linesman it, it was a horrendous decision I mean just so so poor and and I absolutely understood why Neil Critchley was was so angry afterwards those two points they could they could make such a difference come come the end of the season um but yeah look Blackpool good bounce back from them against Queen's Park Rangers um and the other thing to really note from this game was a was a worldie, wasn't it, from from Chris Willock? I know Sam's a big fan of of him. I remember seeing him as a sort of 17, 18 year old coming through at Arsenal, and there were hopes really that he he might go on and be a first teamer there. It didn't quite happen. He's gone away to Portugal, come back, and he does he does look a really good Championship player now, Willock. That was that was a tremendous goal. Uh, Flo Mark Warburton was a bit knocked at the goal that that uh, Rangers conceded here and, and, and not without good cause, given the the errors that led up to it, particularly from Barbe. But but where are you on QPR at the moment? Is it is it going OK? Is it a little bit on the slide? What's, what's the mood? 
I wouldn't say on the slide, yeah. I think injuries are, are a bit of a concern. Uh, Sam McCullum got injured, I think, on Wednesday night against Cardiff. QPR scraped a win in that game, a really important win. And then Moses Odevajo got injured on Saturday evening against Blackpool. Uh, there's already a few other injury and fitness issues in the team. I don't I don't know when Lee Wallace is going to come back. So that left side is looking pretty uh, weak. And I think there needs, I mean, we're not quite close enough to January window yet in order to do a, you know, a, a nice flurry of loan spells to bring a bit of cover. But I think squad depth is a bit of a concern. Um, they're scraping wins in, in stodgy, boring games uh, and carving out points where they can. But I think that dominance, that excitement uh, and that control of games has dipped a little bit in the past few weeks. But Blackpool were by far the better team on Saturday night. Um, and I think QPR rode their luck massively. And I think there's too much of a reliance on Willock and Chair to kind of pull out the spectacular. We need to see more from Lyndon Dykes. We need to see more from Charlie Austin, from Andre Gray. So it's not relying on talented attacking midfielders to sort of bail you out. Um, so as the season develops, if they actually want a good chance of getting into the playoffs, they need to spread the load a little bit. Narrative. Great thing about it, you can twist it to your liking. Two-time European champions Nottingham Forest winless in three matches at 2.59 on Saturday afternoon. One defeat in 10 by five o'clock margins. Tricky Trees, 3-0 victors against Preston on the banks of the Trent, the third in the form table in the 10 games post Chris Hewton. Just a quick question on this, Clarkey. Uh, are you pleased that that baffling campaign you waged against Brennan Johnson when he was in League One finally <laughs> seems to have come to an end with him being well, awarded a penalty at long last? It's more of a ca- parking campaign, to be <laughs> fair, but I was more than happy to jump on jump on board the train. Um, he, he is a diver. Um, we, and we saw we, we saw a little little half dive, didn't we, at the weekend? Um, but look, it, it probably was just about a pen. I don't, I don't know where Sam stands on this one. He's really he's really the one that, that keeps a close eye on uh, on old BJ. Uh, I went in I went in on him last year, and I got um, I got abuse from a lot of Lincoln supporters. The Stacey West podcast, which is one of the better um league one podcast i do listen to and and read his stuff so he came after me i think and we end up having a bit of a combo about it and and all was fine but i'm not brave enough to take on the, the forest fan base to be honest <laughs> i'm really not so this one was definitely a penalty but he certainly still adds a little bit of panache to the uh to the full i i, I will say i'll leave it at that that one was a pen though uh, i did a tweet about it and david johnson liked it and i got so giddy with excitement it was pretty pathetic for a, a 39 year old uh, elsewhere massive match at the wrong end of the table at oakwell it didn't go well for host barnsley whose joy at their midweek win against derby proved short-lived the tykes got done 2-0 on their own patch by fellow strugglers Hull City. It's over to Manchester United loanee Deshaun Bernard for this week's banal post-match tweet of the week. This is particularly disappointing because Deshaun actually has an emoji in his Twitter name, which you know you'd think it would lead to good content. But what he's done is he's quoted, quote tweeted a picture of them all celebrating after the game that Hull put out on their official account. Uh, Big Dish says, big performance tonight, two flames emojis. Fans were amazing, two applause emojis. Uh, Sam, that's come straight from his drafts, hasn't it? That that is the archetypal footballer's post-match tweet. Yeah, and he was recalled for this game. So, you know, he's felt that he's got to put something out there. Maybe it's a little point towards the manager, the supporters. I'm back. You're what I was missing. So, um, disappointed in young Dishon his performance should have been enough. Do you think the Deshaun's of this world do their own tweets or do you think they've got a social media uh, you know, campaign manager? He's on loan, right? From Man From United, United, yeah. United? Yeah, yeah so ooh, good good point, Clarky. I'd like to think that he's doing that himself. <laughs> Deshaun, come on, tell us all about it. You're more than welcome. Uh, this is a great win, Flo, for Hull. First away goals since the opening day of the season. If you can take points off somebody down there with you, all the better. Yeah, first away goals, first away wins since that opening day against Preston. And I also think what was probably really refreshing for the fans and for a lot of the players, Flames emoji to go with it, was the confidence and bravery, I think, of Grant McCann because 
did make a lot of changes. He dropped Matt Ingram, brought in Chelsea Loney keeper Nathan Baxter. I think it was his first league start. Um, and they've got a few injury problems as well in the backdrop of this. They were on a five-game losing streak. Like There was lots of narrative to suggest this was going to be a really tough game and that, that, that streak was going to continue. But I think it could be a, a really good sort of stepping stone for them now to put a good run together and give themselves a, a good chance because I think, yeah, it was, a, it was a really, really important win. They didn't hide, did they? They just said, we're going to attack this game. Even though the pressure's on, it's like, we're going to dictate this match. We're going to get on the front foot and create chances and, and get at you. And yeah, I thought they did it really well. It makes a difference having Honeyman, doesn't it? I think he's he's only made five starts this season. It must be great to have him back. I think he makes a, a real difference for Hull. Um, I've just had an epiphany, by the way, on uh, an on-air epiphany in regards to Sam and his you know his devotion to bad footballer tweets. This, this could be a sideline for you, mate. You 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 should be in charge of footballer accounts to make sure. That they don't put out, they don't put out these banal, you know, rubbish tweets. That this could be a nice little sideline. You could probably cream off more money than you get on this podcast, that's for sure. By by uh, by working for a few of these players, mate. You want to get yourself out there? I'd be up for it. I'm a I'm a reluctant tweeter myself, but you know, put yourselves. The... Give us give us a give us like a you know a little taster. If you if you were a whole player after that result, tell us what you would have tweeted. Uh, I would have tweeted. Um, I particularly like the um, the chant in the 32nd minute when you goaded the home support. Um, the uh, in the dressing room there were some lovely prawn mayo sandwiches post match. I chucked one at Grant McCann. Uh, that's content after, isn't it that's good just after that's he good. returned I mean, from yeah. just after he re- returned from his post-match and then we're getting on the coach and George Honeyman is having a chicken wrap with pineapple and cheese from Nando's large chips perry sauce and the large <laughs> B emoji next to George <laughs> Honeyman's name possibly but other than that yeah pretty solid Bruno Fernandez is uh, is calling you as we speak Sam um, for me, honestly Sam I'll, I'll, I'll invest in the company alright I'll, I'll be a shareholder <laughs> All right, come on, let's this do this. Startup. Um, before we move on from this game, who'd like to shout me down and call me ridiculous for suggesting that Neil Warnock to Barnsley might not be the worst shout in the world? Doesn't really fit their model at the moment, I know, but but they've got to survive. Am I just making that connection because he's from Yorkshire? They, they need a manager, quickly, I would suggest, on the back of this performance. And kind of to reignite some of the lads who were really at it last year just don't seem to be... At the same level, Corley Woodrow, I thought, was on the cusp of a really good move. Uh, he looks um, a shadow of the player. Uh, I spoke about both the, the Callums, Britain and Styles as well. That They're nowhere near the level that they set for themselves last year. So I think, yeah, I think something's going to give in the next couple of weeks. Mm, not the worst shout in the world, but I can't see it happening, actually. He's down in Plymouth, isn't he? Neil Warnock, maybe, um, you know, going to go and take stock and get back down there. Pending Sharon approval, maybe. Uh, So the Barnsley temporary manager might not be there for much longer. Another temporary manager, Steve Morrison, went for the anti-Winslet in Titanic tactic and refused to be drawn after he saw his team win for the first time in Yonks slash 11 attempts. Uh, He won't explicitly say that he wants the job, but it seems fairly obvious to me that he does. What did he do here, Adrian, to set up his team to, to win this game? Well, not just in this game, but in all of the games, he's just had a more attacking mindset, hasn't he? He's he's playing this three four two one, where he's asking the wing backs to play higher, to take on players, deliver the ball from further up the pitch, and he's got two guys in and around Kiefer Moore to link with. And Kiefer Moore, I think, has gone on record as saying he likes that. He, he feels less isolated than he did. Um, under the previous regime with Mick McCarthy, they're looking after the ball with a bit more confidence. He's given that. He's demanding that they that they get on the ball. I think the last two home games against QPR and Huddersfield, they've had more than fifty percent possession, which is a step in the right direction. You know because that's what Morrison wants. I know he's he's playing himself into the frame, isn't he, Morrison? No doubt about it. Interesting that Mike Flynn was there, um, maybe ahead of an interview this week. He wanted to just be there in the flesh and sort of take some notes. Uh, you know for the PowerPoint presentation. So um, so that was interesting. 
What about Daniel Farker, though? I mean, Daniel Farker can name his price, can't he, in terms of a championship job. If I'm a, if I'm a championship chairman and, and we've got a vacancy, look no further than him if, if, he, if he wants it. So that might just be a spanner in the works for your Flint and your Morrisons. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just pulling that out of thin air. But um, if they want to change the identity of the team, play more football and get someone with proven pedigree, you know, Fark could be a bit of Fark life. Well, make Mike Flynn an angry Farker if he suddenly got overlooked for it, having been odds on, uh, <laughs> that's for sure. Sam, good news for you. Kiefer Moore's only 16 goals behind Mitro in the race for the Golden Boot now. It's on. He's a listener, isn't he? He's got to be. Got to be. Um, most touches he's had in the box for six games. Most attempts he's had all season. And the second goal, oh, oh, that was yeah, yeah. that was poetry. And that was uh, Isaac Davis, uh, another young lad, just into the into the the action. Skip past his marker. Lovely stand up, but oh, it's a it's a brilliant header. He's backpedalling a little bit as well. So love that goal. I'm sure you know Steve Morrison will be um, speaking to him regularly. You know, given what he did as a as a player, and I don't know, it might be quite nice for Steve Morrison. He's quite serious, Steve, in my experience, but. Um, you know, he seems, as Clarky was saying, seems to have galvanised the players, got them obviously playing a more attractive way. The shackles seem to be off. I don't know, maybe him with someone of more um, senior standing alongside him to come in this year and, and work this transition, which which is much needed. Cardiff needs to play better football, more exciting football. And, you know, he's gone about it brilliantly in the first few games. And, and Kiefer, he's uh, on the tail of Mitrovic. Be warned. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, give us the Huddersfield angle on this. They are very much the team under the radar, not in terms of they're going to get promoted this season, but it's a bit of a head-scratcher when you see where they are in the table. They've had some brilliant results, though. I think we spoke about Karoma and oh, Sorba Thomas in particular. He looks like he's a little bit fatigued, maybe after you know so many games, uh, international call-up as well. I think injuries probably cost them a little bit here with Holmes and Hogg having to, to go off and just wanted to know as well. Yes, Kiefer Moore's header's brilliant, but Levi Colwell missed the header at one end and then I think he's picking up Kiefer Moore um, at the other. So a tough day at the office for a young lad with loads of promise who I think the Huddersfield fans have loved watching so far. So a few things went against them this, uh, this weekend. Maybe just need to be a bit more proactive in games rather than, you know, sitting in and trying to, snatch three points on the road here's a sort of you know, uh, a question I've made up what's the difference between a Hull and a Huddersfield and the answer is 10 set piece goals Hull haven't scored one which is that they're alone with Swansea and that makes a difference Hull, are, Hull aren't a bad team they've got good forward players but if you're not scoring from corners and wide free kicks ever it's going to limit your chances of winning games Huddersfield even though some of the performances have been underwhelming, keep nicking goals. They keep scoring cheap ones from corners, free kicks, great deliveries, big big players to finish them off. So that 10-goal swing, because Huddersfield have got 10, is um, is the difference between where they are in the league. And I don't think that Huddersfield are a better team than Hull. And then they're kind of much of a muchness. We're so tight. You've got QPR in sixth place on 26 points. And then you go down to 19th Bristol City, just seven points behind them. So plenty to happen uh, in the next few weeks. Speaking of the table, this gives me the opportunity to bring in a young upstart, I like to call producer Ben, who's going to give us some odds on the championship outright markets as we stand on the November international break. This courtesy of our friends at Paddy Power. Well, Matthew, since you asked, it's still Fulham, Bournemouth and West Brom who are favourites to win the division. You'll get evens 13 to 8 and 14 to 1 respectively on any of them being champions. Um, and because Flo's here, she'll be very pleased that QPR are 11 to 2 to go up in some way or other. While at the other end of the table, if you're looking for anyone other than the current inhabitants of the bottom three to go down, can I suggest a bit of value with Cardiff? At 10 to 3, Steve Crossy Crossman's Borough at 22 to 1, or two time European champions Nottingham Forest at a sensational 12 to 1 with Paddy Power. Yeah, don't bet on that. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply, and when the fun stops, stop. 12 to 1 on Forest to go down. My goodness me. <sighs> Ah! <sighs> 
Uh, it was the FA Cup this past weekend, the first round. It did produce a couple of shocks. Flo, what caught your eye from it? It's not really a shock, but I just wanted to shout out Chez, Chesterfield beating Southend 3-1. Um, they're in the same league. So. Just because you wanted to hurt Adrian's feelings, right? Nice. Um, <laughs> what's the link with Chesterfield? What's, what's this cheers business? Yeah, no, the Spyrites are do- have a really good season. Um, they're doing well, and they're through to the next round. And attendances have been really good, which is kind of, kind of why I wanted to give them a shout out. Really, it's the biggest crowd they've had in the FA Cup since 2016, when they had a, a third round replay against Scunthorpe. Um, they had bigger crowds than Wigan, Bradford City, Charlton Athletic, uh, Scunthorpe, Port Vale, Crewe, Rotherham. I think it was over just under 5,000 there on uh, on the weekend. And yeah, apparently the atmosphere was brilliant. Away fans as well. Like a lot of fans on Twitter were saying how good the away support was for Southend. So I think there's a good vibe there at the moment. Wasn't exactly like a, you know, legendary game. They did go goal down and, and then won the game 3-1. But I just wanted to chat out them because it seems like there's a good vibe there at the moment. Two, two things. Uh, Forest Green getting beaten, obviously. They're a brilliant away team and, and that was the, the tie of the round, wasn't it? St Albans, a fantastic performance from, from the non-leaguers. And it was Kane Wilson, who we have praised relentlessly since the start of the season, who made the mistake for, for the crucial winning goal for, for St Albans. So yeah, it's always nice. I, I've played at St Albans many, many times uh, down the years, uh, various friendlies and, and cup games and whatnot in non-league. I always liked playing there. Um, so yeah, it was good to see them do well. Um, and the other one is Sunderland. Um, losing, obviously, again. Um, it's been a really bad run for them. Lost to Mansfield, who won their first away game of the season. Um, but what really caught my eye was Lee Johnson bringing on not one, not two, not three, but four, in capital letters, substitutes at half-time. I mean, that's just... That is... It's, it's a modern game, isn't it? I hate... I don't like five subs. Re- I'm vehemently against five subs. Um, but but I suppose if you bring on four at half time, it's you're, you're making a real statement, aren't you? There, um, he must have been so angry, must have been. Um, so yeah, didn't work though, did no, it? Weird to lose one nil at home to Mansfield for the second season in a row in the first round of the FA Cup. Um, Sam, give me your pick, please. I will subtly skip past Swindon Town, uh, scoring three beautiful goals in a giant killing at Crew, if you can call it that, but. I am going to go for in a giant kid and Buxton winning one nil at York. I um, skipped through a load of goals this morning, wanting to see you know a, a late winner with a brilliant away contingent uh, in a giant killing, hopefully, and and they provided this. Sorry to Diego de Girolamo. I hope I haven't butchered that, but he scored a really well taken goal, and then two chaps caught my attention. One in black with a fur collar. He went nose first over the hoardings and then there's a chap in kind of cream get up who gets stuck kind of horizontally which is excellent if anyone wants to look back and, and see those goals but yeah encapsulated for me everything that's good about the FA Cup early yeah. rounds um, you know the story with Buxton don't you ahead of the game they uh, sacked their manager um, for going on holiday unbelievable <laughs> I mean it's just so non-league isn't it Buxton are flying as well you get a pass during a pandemic, don't you? We're well, all that's what he said. Sun, don't we? yeah, We're all desperate. Yeah, exactly. He said, he said, he was quoted, the manager that got, got the bullet was quoted as saying, look, we've had it cancelled a few times because of the pandemic. This is the only time we can go. I'm not happy with it clashing with a big game like this, but I've got, I'm going to put, put, the, put the family first. <laughs> and the club just giving the boot. I mean, it's, yeah, kind of outrageous, but in the end, it, it worked out right for them. But yeah, taking a holiday, yeah when you're a manager in the middle of a season it's a bit that is that is non-league yeah. isn't it that is that is uh, frowned yeah. upon you wouldn't get it in the EFL um, speaking of non-league this is going to lead us to the section that I call the end bit I want your best football team names that you can find this is after I noticed that Lincoln just about saw off Bowers and Pitsy which I thought was um, quite pleasant Sam what have you come up with for this please Oh, um, well, there's no better name than Hamilton Academicals, is there? That's the, that's the answer. But um, I've gone all the way down to Sunday League, my mates, a few years ago. Well, I'm from a place called Barnes in southwest London. They were Barcelona, which was also always brilliant. <laughs> but their big game for a season or two was against um, A3 Milan, which I always enjoyed. <laughs> Chris Eubank, the manager. 
who uh, who, who pitched up uh, beside the the well known dual carriageway in Ramsey. Flo, can you beat that? Um, I mean, I'll try, um, but that's a good one. Um, similarly, kind of grassroots. Um, there's a women's football team in Brighton called the Brighton Seagulls. Um, very nice. And then yeah, there's actually nice, a new team nice. that's just popped up yeah. near me. I think they're based in Hackney uh, called Babe City FC. Um, and their logo is like the um, BFC, you know, like a rating on a film, whether it's like 12A, PG, Universal. So their their logo is a little triangle and it's BC and it's Babe City FC. So I'm a big fan of them. Start following them on Instagram. So those are my two picks. Um, check them out. <laughs> Adrian, can you beat that? Uh, no, not really. Uh, they're great shouts. I looked overseas. I've always been a fan of grasshoppers. Um, just yeah, it tickles me. But yeah, in, in Argentina, there's a second or third tiered side called Deportivo Moron, um, which is nice. Um, in Finland, FC Santa Claus. Um, that's a real team. Um, you're based in Lapland. And, and in Norway, there's a team. so immature, but I can't resist it. Uh, Footballaget. Fart <laughs> is their team in, in Norway. And they're, they're meant to be all right. They're, I think they're in the third tier. So, uh, yeah, always cheer on the farts. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Ghanaian Premier League. I was, that was going to be just, my just, pick, you know. There's some brilliant names there. Really good names. <laughs> there really are. I mean, just yesterday you had Elmina Sharks getting beaten 3-1 at home by Dreams, whilst 11 Wonders were held to a, a goalless draw by Becker and Chelsea. Uh, you've also got the Humble Lions FC of Jamaica, uh, back to Ghana for Cape Coast Mysterious Abusa Dwarves, which is pretty difficult to beat. Uh, Eleven Wonders, we mentioned uh, a team that I used to commentate on a fair bit from Bolivia called The Strongest, which is quite difficult to argue with. Really? You've commentated on the strongest. Them, Bolivian yeah, football? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Producer Ben pointing out Deportivo Wanker, obviously, um, from <laughs> Peru. And Neuchatel Zamax, which uh, I think we can all agree is a nice one right that'll do us for today big thank you to Flo to Sam and to Adrian hey good news listener on Thursday we've got darling of the pod Joe Jacobson the Wickham skipper with us Uh, until then just amuse yourself for a couple of days thanks for joining us today bye for now you've been listening to the Totally Football League show part of the Athletic Podcast Network listen ad free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally show on Twitter and on Insta Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an athletic media company production. The Athletic.